Love Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Talking Circles, I am Clayton Calder with John Harlow here. Breaking down tonight's race, uh, yesterday's race, the Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway. John, what do you have to say about that? It was Martin Trix Jr.'s 14th career victory, 7th this season. He's been on a roll. Mile and a half Martin is his new nickname. What do you have to say about that? Well, uh, without a doubt, they went through some adversity yesterday that they haven't really gone through. It's like a lot of the times whenever Truex has jumped into the lead, either he wins or something goofy happens. But this time he had the going below the white line to going, going below the lane, the bottom line on the track before the start finish line, which wound up getting him black flag and he had a pass through penalty. And then they had the loose wheel throughout the thing. So they were off sequence compared to what Harvick and uh, Kyle Busch were on. But, I mean, there was nobody – there was only one car close to his speed throughout the day, and it was Kyle Larson. Um, but other than that, I mean, Harvick ran well. Kyle Busch ran well. They got caught up on where pit strategy didn't really work out for them. They wound up coming back to 8th and 10th. But Truex was the class of the field, as he's been almost all year. And <clears throat> it's like, oh, John. Truex has been it all the time. Truex is this year's Jimmy Johnson. You know what? Everybody's happy for him because <clears throat> look at it. His uh, girlfriend, Sherry Pollock, you have to be pulled for partially because he's going through in his life. And then they had one of their uh, uh, the one of the ever but part of the racing uh, team. The guy had a heart attack and passed away Saturday at the track. So, I mean, if there's a chance to feel good about a team that's just stinking up the show, Martin Truex Jr. and Furniture of Racing is that team you feel good for. You're almost happy that they're stinking up the show. I agree with you, but it's, it's you know, they say don't stink up the show. Don't, uh, you know, make it boring, I guess you can say. And that team's on the mile and a half, I mean – you know, somebody I was watching a race with asked me, who do you think is going to win today? I said, well, duh, it's going to be the 78 car, you know, and uh, he didn't disappoint. You talked about um, the penalty, which we'll get to, which was absolutely, uh, I don't know if it was a bad penalty, but the fact that they didn't penalize Harvick, I mean, whoa, you got to be kidding me there. We'll discuss that. But uh, also he had a loose lug nut under green he had to pit for. So he came from the back really twice. Um, and that's the only reason why he didn't lead as many laps as he, he did. Kyle Busch was fast. He got caught. Uh, late on, on a caution d- during the uh, one of the accidents, he got lapped down under a caution flag, um, and that prevented him from really finishing out and running a good run, having a, a great run. He finished in the tenth spot, um, but you know, definitely impressive from that seventy-eight team. They seem to go out there and do that every every time on a mile and a half track. And another a very impressive run also for Ryan Blaney. I know Kurt Busch finished second. Kurt got up there; he did a great job. I think he was helped by the accident, but Ryan Blaney. 
all day long. I mean, this was a kid who started in the rear because of unapproved adjust or his car field qualifying post qualifying uh, inspection worked his way all the way up through the top 15. By the time we got the, the really the, the end of the uh, almost, he was almost at the top 15 by the competition caution at lap 30, which was crazy. Uh, he finished the first stage in fourth, uh, excuse me, in sixth. He just uh, was unbelievable. And uh, he had a very good day and, and, you know, finishing a third spot, and that makes him advance to the next round. Yeah, I think uh, Blaney had one of the better days of everybody. I think it was great, um, great decision-making on the box by Jeremy Bullens, where there was a couple times they stayed out and rolled the dice when it came to getting close to the end of uh, stage one. Because, like you said, he, he went from 40th to 25th in the first 10 laps. And then by the time they hit the competition caution at lap 30, he was in the top 15. And they wound their way getting up there. I mean, heck, he was leading the race part of the first segment. And no, everybody's like, ah, there's no way he's getting any kind of points in the first segment. He wound up finishing in the top 10 in the first segment and ran up front all day. And the most impressive part about it, Keselowski did it a couple times by being off strategy, but he could never stay up there. Kozlowski kept falling back. Logano was nowhere to be found. But Ryan Blaney was a class of the field of anybody who was Penske-related. Um, the one thing I was impressed with, Harvick wound up with an eighth-place finish. The one thing, if you notice on the restarts, especially when Harvick, there was a couple times Harvick started sixth, eighth, back in there, he'd just go to the outside and just leave it wound up going through one and two. If you were to make a move and get yourself where you had a chance of getting near Truex or Kyle Busch when they were the lead, you had to just hold it wide open and pray going through one and two and stay up top because not everybody was had the uh, cojones to go up top because of the rainstorm the night before. But, I mean, Harvick would just go up top and go balls to the wall and come out of turn two and have three, four, five positions he picked up in that turn. But then once they hit the straightaway, and uh, it was follow the leader the rest of the way, like it is every time on these damn mile-and-a-half tracks, the package is terrible. Yeah, listen, it was uh, – once the leader got the clean air, no doubt about it, it was uh, follow the leader like you say. The race really – where the, the complexion of this race really changed was lap 199 when you had the accident where Eric Jones was running in the third spot, lost control of his number 77 Toyota, and really in front of the entire field after a restart, collected Matt Kenseth, collected Jamie McMurray, uh, Joey Logano got a piece of it, Ryan Newman was involved, Clint Boyer, Eric Amarola, Daniel Suarez – Trevor Bain, Chase Elliott, Austin Dillon, Dale Jr., Brad Kozlowski, and Danica Patrick all wrecked. Uh, some heavy, heavy hits from the 77 car of Jones. Suarez hit the wall hard. He was done for the day. Uh, you know, that's really what changed this complexion of this race, John. It was uh, interesting because a lot of people thought we were going to be riding off the 48 car. Who Here's Jimmy Johnson, you know, spinning through the grass by himself. Then all of a sudden, uh, three laps later, loses it again. In turn three, he couldn't even make a lap. Um, and then a big wreck, and Johnson was sort of, you know, that helped Johnson a lot because he would have been out. I, I, you know, I know he uh, ended up finishing halfway decent in that, in that race. Uh, he ended up in the 11th position. But, you know, it would have been interesting to see if they could have gotten that car up to full speed without the cautions. Um, once they got the cautions and put more tires on it, that 48 car seemed to, be, seemed to be pretty good. It wasn't as fast as it was early in the day. But, man, that golden horseshoe for Jimmy Johnson that everybody talks about, 
There it is again. Looked like he was on the outside looking in after spinning twice, once through the grass, and then a big wreck happened, and Jimmy's back in the chase. Uh, what were your thoughts on that big wreck, and uh, what are your thoughts on Matt Kenseth? You know, listen, an interesting thing there where he got uh, DNQ'd because of um, – he got DQ'd because too many men over the wall. Uh, you know, they're only allowed six men over the wall. He had seven. What were your thoughts on that? I think um, there's a couple things you look at. I think the complexion of the race changed a lot on lap 199, but I think it changed for the um, big time when Kyle Larson blew up. I think that was the first big domino to fall. Um, The Kenseth, I mean, if I'm Matt Kenseth, I... I don't know how I could even talk to the uh, crew guy who was the seventh one over the wall. They know flat out that they have five minutes to fix any wreck. And if you put a seventh person over the wall, it is in the book. They even uh, Jeff Burton and Steve Latart talked about it. The seventh person is what gets them disqualified because you have five minutes and you can't take it behind a wall. Can you take it behind a wall? You're done. And you have to do it with what you're allowed on pit road. So if it's six guys allowed over the wall and they showed one earlier because Jeff Burton was getting social media things at Jimmy Johnson, whenever he had his issues and they serviced him, a seventh guy came over the wall. The seventh guy that came over the wall with Johnson just took a tear off off the windshield. NASCAR allows a seventh guy to service the driver. At this point, the seventh guy was not servicing the driver. He was um, trying – he had the saw out and was going to cut off part of the front end. So it was a comedy of errors that does not happen with that 20. Jason Radcliffe, um, they're pretty good. Yeah, listen, I think when you look at that 20 car and what happened there, um, you know, it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people expect this to be Matt Kenseth's final year in the Cup Series uh, as a full-time driver. Uh, I hope that's not the case because I think Matt Kenseth's still got a lot to prove. Still got a lot of wins left in him. Um, But it was a bad week at Talladega last weekend where he crashed. uh, And with Talladega in that chase, like you talk about, John, it's your favorite racetrack, you know, if you get involved in a wreck there, it, it puts so much pressure on the first two ra- on the other two races with Kansas and Charlotte. And Kansas, again, this was out of his control. Ironically, the driver who took him out of the championship is the driver who is replacing him in that 20 car next year, Eric Jones. And I know Jones felt bad, uh, you know, made maybe a rookie mistake there, turned, got that car turned around, but he really did. He took out Matt Kansas' shot of the championship. And, um, that's unfortunate. You know, I thought Kenseth and that 20 team built a fast rate and had a fast race car. They did everything they needed to do. They were close to the front all day. Um, and you don't think the third place car on, after a restart with fresh tires on, uh, would lose control like he did, but he did. And it took out a lot of contenders. No doubt about it. I, you know, I think look, uh, McMurray was in a winner take all situation, you know, so that did him in same thing with Stenhouse. Um, you know, but they were the kind of guys who looked at this year and said, they weren't really championship contenders. But I agree with you, John. I think Kyle Larson and Matt Kenseth here, I'm shocked about Kyle Larson. I mean, this was a guy who, again, um, 
had, had probably the third fastest race car all year besides Truex and Kyle Busch. And a wreck of Talladega and a blown motor here at Kansas puts Kyle Larson out of the championship. He was very dejected in his interview. Uh, you know, I'm sh- and I don't blame him. But that old adage goes, you have to lose one before you win one. You have to wonder if this is Kyle Larson losing his championship before he wins one, John. I think uh, that might be the case because if you look uh, two years ago, Truex was the same way whenever they went to Homestead. I mean, he actually went to Homestead. Nobody was, everybody was shocked that he made it to Homestead in the Final Four, and he didn't end up winning it. Um, I think, again, it's the uh, lucky horseshoe. What's the chances that that ends up not the 48? Because they're built in the same shot. I mean, everybody just goes and say, I'll take that one. There's yep. no specific one that goes to and from which driver, which car. That jo- that engine could have easily went into the 48 car, and we're talking about Jimmy Johnson not having a chance at his eighth championship instead of Kyle Larson not having a chance at his first. And, and Hendrick Motorsports took blame for that. You know, they said, listen, that's on our, us. Uh, we provide the engines for that team, and that's unfortunate. And it is. You know, or even being in the one car where McMurray, and not trying to pick up McMurray, but, um, you know, he got involved in a wreck, but, you know, I think it was a tough day all around for Ganassi, but you would have sat there and said, I'd rather have it in a one than the 42 because at least the 42 would have set a shot at the championship. Um, and they've been on a rail all year long. So that's a little disappointing for Larson. I'd like to see how Larson finishes this season. I know we only got uh, four races to go in the season with Martinsville, Texas, Phoenix, and Homestead. I'd like to see how he finishes this season. Does he, does he sit there and say, you know what? It's been a heck of a year. We run 32 races. As, uh, you know, I've been as focused as I had could be. For 32 races, and these in that last four, I'm so dejected. Eh, you know, we'll run them, but, but I'm dejected. Or does he come out and say, you know what, I'm going to put this behind me. It would show me a lot if Larson could put this behind him and roll off, rattle off a win here or two at Martinsville or Phoenix or at Texas and say, you know what, yeah, we weren't, we're not running for the championship, but we're going to be a championship contender still next year. We're, we're still going to be out there competing for wins. I'd like to see that 40 team do, team do that, 42 team do that if they can. Because I think the problem, it would be interesting, it would be sad to me if they just sat there and, and uh, not quit on the year, but were just so dejected that we didn't see the same raw speed of that 42 car as we have in the past. Um, and I think it would be a great disservice to his team. But it's, it was a heck of a year for Kyle Larson. I think this was his coming out party. You know, we saw flashes at the end of last year when he won Michigan, and he did a very good job. This year was his coming out party. I mean, this was as fast as he could be all year long, and I think he's only going to get better and better and better here and this 42 car, um, and this 42 team, I think, is going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with here for the next five years. I think they are. I think um, for Kyle Larson, he's got to look at – he normally sucks at Martinsville, and since Martinsville is always going to be a chase race, he needs to take this race this coming Sunday and learn from it and do everything he can to suck in as much knowledge as possible – because if he's going to have a chance to win a championship next year, at some point he's got to be able to be competitive in Martinsville, not be a 20th place car. Because these, point. these three races, there are no mulligans. Because you've got three races and there's only four, there's four of you that go away. And there's only four left. And, and you look at some of these three races, Denny Hamlin's phenomenal at Martinsville. Jimmy Johnson's phenomenal at Martinsville. Kyle Busch is phenomenal at Martinsville. Um, 
Martin Truex has been great everywhere, but I mean, he's got so many points right now, as long as he doesn't blow an engine or get in a big one somewhere where he finishes 40th, Martin Truex Jr. is almost already locked in to go on a homestead. The thing with Kyle Larson, though, where we got to see the rest of the year, everybody was, uh, you listen to Jeff Burton talk about it during the race, and Dale Jarrett was talking about it before the race. If Kyle Larson made it to homestead, he was the one to beat because Kyle Larson is phenomenal at homestead, and homestead is one of those mile and a half where it sets up. The higher higher you go, the better you are, and nobody goes closer to the wall than Kyle Larson since the days of Richard Petty. Yeah, and listen, I totally agree with that. I think he would have been very interesting to watch. I'm not sure there's too many people right now who can compete with that 78 team for this championship, uh, but the 42 team would have been one of them. To your point about Martinsville, you know, he's run there seven times. Uh, he should It should have been eight times. You know, if you remember, this was the race he missed when he got dehydrated and had to go to the hospital, and Regan Smith drove the 42 car. Um, but he has one top 10 finish in seven starts, uh, a third in, in 2016. Other than that, his best finish is 14th. So, yeah, he's really struggled for uh, 17th here earlier in the year at Martinsville. And this is one of those racetracks where, you know, it's unlike any other racetrack in the country. you got to learn how to drive Martinsville. Uh, and once you do, you should be in pretty good shape because it seems like once you find the knack, you never forget how to run that place. He sat on the pole here. Uh, last time he went there, he should be interesting to watch. But, again, I'm just going to be interested to see that 42 team how they finish off the season. Getting back to Kansas, uh, you know, some interesting names up in the top 10 here, John. Uh, you know, true actually had Kurt Busch, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, and then Denny Hamlin. Uh, one of the best runs of the year for Chris Busher. He finished sixth, a good run for him. Dale Jr. was seventh, Harvick eighth. Eric Amarola in the 43 car, he finished ninth in a racetrack that broke his back here earlier in the year. And then it was Kyle Busch in 10th. Jimmy Johnson, Paul Menard was 12th. Kozlowski, Dillon, Casey Kane, Ty Dillon, David Reagan was 17th, McDowell, Clint Boyer, and Charbane, the top 20. So a lot of interesting names up in the top 15, top 20 that we don't normally see up there. But how about Chris Bush here? You know, a guy who I've been pretty impressed with with this 37 car. Um, they haven't, they didn't start off the year great. I think, you know, JTG Daughter Racing kind of looked at that and said, I think they stretched themselves a little too thin earlier in the year. But really, uh, Busher's, I think, outrun his teammate, A.J. Elmendinger. He's done a very good job this year. And a sixth-place run at, at Kansas, uh, it should make him feel pretty good as the season goes along. Yeah, and I think um, if he would have had a little better qualifying, he probably would have been better off. It's one of the things he talked about with Jim Utter after the race. And if you think about it, one of the things that helped Chris Busher finish sixth is he stayed clean all day. And he narrowly missed the big one on lap 199. I mean, he even words. I made it through the big accident on the back by a very small margin. I'm going to say it was within inches, but when you go back and look at it, it was several feet, but it felt that close because of how wide, wild that wreck was. I mean, I think JTG Doherty is growing the right way. I'm not sure if A.J. Allmendinger is the guy you hatch on as your lead driver. I think Roush Fenway's probably made a mistake by letting Chris Busher go to JTG Doherty and not putting him in the six car. But that's for another day to discuss. But I think Chris Busher has done well the year he ran, last year when he ran for Front Row Motorsports. I think he's um, done nothing to hurt his credibility driving for JTG Doherty this year. And I think 
having the same team together for a second year in a row is going to do nothing but benefit him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's done a nice job this year, and he's signed a multi-year contract extension with JTG Daughter Racing to be in that uh, that car next season, that number 37 car next season. So, listen, he's uh, – I think he'll be interesting to watch next year to see where that team – you know, if they, he can get in the top 20, you might be talking about Chase with them. And I, I think if you're in the top 20 with how many drivers we take with the with top 16 now, it should be interesting to watch. 917-889-8280. John, one thing that really annoyed me yesterday – was the penalty to Martin Truex Jr. And the fact that he went below the white line before the start-finish line on a restart. And Kevin Harvick followed him and did the exact same thing Martin Truex Jr. did but did not get penalized. Now, there was some explanation. Uh, I saw Steve O'Donnell's explanation this, this week, uh, yesterday actually, about it on Sirius Radio, saying that, uh, you know, Harvick followed him. They felt like the cars behind him shouldn't be penalized for following the leader. Yada, 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 something of that nature. Uh, listen, this is the stuff I think that bothers people. It's like, listen, be consistent with your rules, please. You know, Harvick, I thought, should have been penalized as well. If you know the rule and the rule is not to go below the white line, then don't go below the white, below the white line. I'm not saying Truex shouldn't have been penalized. I think he should have been, absolutely. If that's the rule now, I don't understand why it's a rule. Uh Harvick said that he heard it in the driver's meeting. He was aware of it. He um, said it's a new rule. He says he always, you know, when he hears something new, he goes, hmm, that's interesting. This is a new rule. So why they enforced it at Kansas and not at any other racetrack, I don't know. But uh, I felt like NASCAR really missed an opportunity to be consistent, to put their foot down and say, hey, you know what? We're, we're being consistent with everybody with not penalizing Harvick. It just, it's a bad look. And this is something this sport it seems like they can never get it right. Whenever they institute a rule, and as stupid as the rules are, a lot of the rules are dumb and they don't make any sense or they're old and they need to be rewritten, you should follow them and you should enforce them. But enforce them fairly and enforce them consistently. And I just feel like this sport never, ever does that. And that was another example on Sunday, John. And um, I, I was looking through what O'Donnell And first row of drivers set the line. So whoever is following them was going to be put in position to set the line. And if you look at the replay of it, Kyle Busch was on the outside of the front row with Truex. And when Truex went down below the bottom line, down toward the white line, Harvick ran into the rear end. I mean, Harvick was wrong for going below the uh, white line. But I, the whole rule was stupid to begin with. And that's the thing. I want to know why they enforce it at Kansas. Now, there's other racetracks we see on this board. And I know Kansas is one of them, and they do it a lot. But there's other racetracks on the circuit we see where you can go below the yellow, the white line there. It's not, a, it's not illegal to do it on lap two. Why is it illegal to do it on a restart before the start-finish line? Is it to keep an orderly fashion so they don't want to wreck everybody? Is it so they don't pass, so we don't have a major disaster? I just don't understand it. You know, why put a rule in like this during the, ch- during the middle of a chase race, middle of a playoff run, and really uh, it could have hurt Truex. Now, Truex had a great car. He was able to, to rebound and do a nice job and win, um, but there was a lot of cautions. That big wreck really helped as well. Uh, but, you know, I just 
my question is why? Why is this a rule of Kansas? I would like to know. Um, what, what came about this? What made this happen? And again, I don't care what the rule says. I think it's, it's flawed because to me, if one person goes below the line and the guy behind him goes below the, yellow line, or the white line and you sit there and say, well, the guy in front is bad, but the guy behind him is good, it doesn't make any sense. You know, should uh, somebody else who was behind Harvick get a reward for staying above the white line? It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, rule it consistently. You know, that's all I got to say. And, and that's the thing that bothers me is that a lot of people look at the sport, they get annoyed by it. And when they do stuff like this and they don't enforce it consistently, you can't defend them. You just sit there and say, shake your head and go, I don't know what to tell you. That's just the way it goes. And it was a bad explanation. Steve Letarte said on, on NBC, I don't like the explanation they gave me, why Harvick wasn't penalized and why. And I agree with him. I don't like it either. I think it's, uh, to me, it's got to be black or white there. And uh, having a gray area, a major gray area, is silly. And uh, so we'll see what that does. I mean, it, doesn't affect, it didn't affect the outcome at all because Harvick advanced, so did Truex. And we're going and, and we're running here next weekend at Martinsville. But I just thought kind of a, it makes you scratch your head a little bit. Um, moving on, John. As far as Kansas goes, well, you know, one of the, before we finish, before we move on, um, one of the things I want to say about that is I really like Stevie Letarte is working in the booth because if he sees something in the car to say, hey, what's going on here? It almost sounded like Letarte was trying to get Harvey penalized. I want to know the uh, answer to the rules. I want to know why this is going on. I want to know what's, what's the deal with this thing. And he did the same thing. Latart is sort of halfway challenging this car as a broadcaster on the thing instead of um, the ultimate homer like DW is, where NASCAR does everything great. And NASCAR, we wouldn't, I mean, DW wouldn't have the life he had without NASCAR, and that's great to be appreciated. But if you're there to be the bird analysis, you should be calling it down the middle, not being, oh, I'm I'm pro NASCAR, everything great. I got to make sure everybody's smiling, everybody's happy. I think Stevie Letart does a great job when it comes to the color commentary and giving you, trying to get answers that we don't understand. Oh, I agree. I, I think Steve does a great job there. And, you know, Burton's kind of the mediator there too. But, uh, listen, I think Letart, I'm not sure they're thrilled with him this afternoon or today. I'm sure he got a call on it and saying, listen, uh, with what he said. But he does call him out, and he does say, listen, I don't, I'm not sure I agree with that. You know, he did it a few weeks ago for something else too. Um, and I give him credit for it because it takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage to do that in this modern era. And not a lot of people in his business, on his side, where in the role that he's in, would have the same – you know, you, you gave an example before – would have the same uh, courage to go out there and speak up about something that they see – uh, that doesn't add up that NASCAR does. 917-889-8280 here talking circles, Clayton Cole, John Harlow. Uh, okay, we're, we are moving to the round of eight, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but, you know, so eight drivers are out, eight drivers remain in. Um, who's the bigger surprise to you, John, real quick? I know we, we discussed it. I think your answer is going to be Larson. Is it Larson, Kenseth, McMurray, or Stenhouse that didn't advance to the round of eight? Um, you know, I – McMurray to me, and I'm not trying to be too hard on the guy, he just needed to win this year. I, I thought the cars were there for him this year. There was no excuse not to pull in the victory lane. 
Never really got close to a win. His teammate was there three or four times this year, was always in second. McMurray, we always saw running pretty good consistently, eighth, seventh, sixth. Never really saw him in the top five. Never really saw him in an t- opportunity to win a race this year. So to me, I look at his season as a big disappointment because he never pulled into victory lane. And who knows, if he got a win, he might be able to, might have been able to advance. Um, so to me, that's not that big of a surprise. Stenhouse, I think we all thought, if he doesn't win Talladega, it's, he's going home. That's the case. He didn't win Talladega. He went home. Uh, but Larson and Kenseth were guys who I thought a lot of people had on the radar to win a championship. Which one's a bigger surprise to you? To me, the bigger surprise is still Kenseth because team is one of the best teams on pit road. They don't make mistakes like that. And for them to put seven guys over the wall, that's beyond uh, way out of the league when it comes to the 20 team. Um, Larson blowing an engine, that was a surprise because how often do you see engines blow anymore? And that, that sort of shocked me. But I think Kansas folks, by his team putting seven over the wall, which they very, very rarely ever make a mistake on pit road. One of the things that's always been the key to any team that Matt, Matt Kens has been a part of, he's had a phenomenal pit crew. And they usually never make mistakes, and they usually get spots on pit road every time. And that was just a shock to me that Matt Kens' team put the seventh guy over the wall and basically killed any chance because they were going to be able to get that car back up to speed, and they were going to be able to pull like a Johnson move. I don't know if they would have gotten past Johnson, but they would have had a shot at it. Oh, for sure, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, they're a Toyota team. They are fast on a mile-and-a-half track, so it would have been interesting to see if that played out, but unfortunately for him, um, that does, that's not the case. Now on 788-9280, we're going to dive into a couple other things here, um, you know, including later on in the show we're going to talk about a, a, an association in the Xfinity Series with Stuart Haas Racing and the, the uh, Biagi Dembesti Racing, which was announced today. But let's talk about the NASCAR Xfinity Series race. An interesting race, the Kansas Lottery 300. Christopher Bell wins in just his seventh career Xfinity Series start, driving for uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. He beat Tyler Reddick, Ryan Blaney, uh, William Byron, and Justin Allgaier in the top five. Austin Dillon, Elliott Sadler, Matt Tiff, Ty Dillon, and Ryan Reed, your top ten. But the real controversy came with two laps to go when he passed teammate Eric Jones. He came up, did what we in the racing community call a quote-unquote slide job, uh, Jones couldn't get slowed down in time because he Bell slowed down so much after he passed Jones. Jones ran into the back of him. It put a hole through Jones's radiator. His engine basically blew up. Jones ended up finishing in the 15th spot. A lot of people called it dirty. John said that was dirty racing on, on Christopher Bell's part. Uh, he needs to know better. He needs to race his teammate a little bit cleaner. What were your thoughts on that whole move there at the end with Christopher Bell and Eric Jones? Eric Jones... I can understand him being ticked off because he pretty much had the field covered, but he was going into fuel economy mode because he needed to save a couple laps of a couple laps of fuel. So, because at one point he, with about 15 laps ago, he had a four and a half second lead on um, Christopher Bell. You see Christopher Bell go to the bottom, going into three and four, and you know he's going to come up because everybody comes up to the top especially whenever you're putting full board trying to make that move. If you hit somebody in the rear end, you did not have control of your car. And we saw, I mean, and he had to have seen it, and the spotters had to be telling him. Whenever they saw him coming up the track, there's nothing that says um, Eric Jones couldn't cut to the bottom and 
cut below and do another slide job on them. I mean, you see it all the time. The slide job goes up. If somebody's going up on the slide job, the guy who's getting passed cuts down and goes below, and you end up slingshot and passed. Um, I think Eric Jones was just ticked off that he didn't win. There was nothing dirty about it. That's part of it's part of racing. Your job, if you're driving that 18 car, your job is to make JBL happy. Your job is to make Joe Gibbs happy, and your job is put your car in victory lane. And neither of them were running for the championship in the Xfinity Series. Didn't cost anybody a chance at a championship. All it was was two guys going for one checkered flag and one trophy. And if I'm Christopher Bell and I'm in that spot and I have the chance to make that pass, I'm going to do the same thing every day and twice on Sunday. And if I'm Eric Jones, I'm going to be ticked off that I didn't make the right move to either slingshot by him or um, get hit the brakes early enough to understand knowing that he was coming up the track. That's one of those things. It's a racing deal. There was nothing dirty about it. Uh, listen, I agree wholeheartedly. I don't know how people can sit there and look at that and say he ran him too hard. First of all, that is such an overused, outrageous claim when people say they raced him too hard. I, I hate it. I think it's stupid. Um, I, I don't care what part of the race we're at. I don't think you could ever race a guy too hard. That's what you get paid to do. And especially in the closing stages of an event, you have to go out there and give it your all. That's what you're paid to do. That's what you're wired to do as a race car driver is to go out and do everything you possibly can to get in front of the next guy. Now, he didn't use his bumper as a weapon. He didn't go up and make contact with his teammate and take him out and wreck him. If he did that, I'd be like, okay, different story. If he went up and tapped his teammate and got him a little loose and got on the side of him and drove him into the wall and rode to the wall to the start finish line. I would have a problem with that. He didn't do any of that. He simply passed Eric Jones and Eric Jones ran into the back of him. Now Jones, I'm sure was annoyed and he has a right to be, you know, he's annoyed because he's a race car driver and he wants to win. And he didn't. So like you said, I understand Eric Jones being annoyed. That's, part of his what happens with that uh he led 186 laps of the 200 laps he dominated the race and to have your teammate go up there and pull that move and pass you it's, it's frustrating now i understand where eric jones is coming from as far as he's annoyed but we're here to race this is racing he did nothing wrong christopher bell christopher bell was able to hold it you know we saw carl edwards try and do that in jimmy johnson in the cup series a bunch of years back at the same racetrack and couldn't hang on to it and hit the outside wall, and Johnson went on to win. This time, Bell was able to hang on to it, got in front of his teammate, and took and went to victory lane. Good for him. He should be able to do that. Uh, I thought Jones maybe could have slid down underneath him and passed him, and who knows? We still would have been racing, but I have no problem with that. I don't think Christopher Bell did anything wrong. Um, I think he was, he was driving his guts out, and in a sport that – where a lot of people claim that these drivers don't care anymore because they make so much money. It's nice to see these drivers, these young kids go out there and give it their all and run as hard as they possibly can to get the victory lane. I think it was great to see. I think so too. I mean, Christopher Bell has done that move in the truck series. He's done that move in the Xfinity series. Now you've seen him do it in the sprint cars. It's a young driver who knows he's driving for Joe Gibbs next year in the Xfinity series. Uh, you and I both talked about it several times. There's only so many seats that Toyota has. 
and he's making the most of the rides that he gets between Kyle Busch Motorsports and Joe Gibbs Racing. Will he be driving a Toyota when he makes the Cup Series? We don't know. There could be a Ford seat open for him. There could be a Chevy seat open for him. But he wants to make the best impression he possibly can before he gets to the Cup Series. And I think by going out and winning a race and only a seventh Xfinity start does that for him. I mean, he's on – I mean, I said earlier in the season – I could see him skipping Xfinity and going to the Cup Series because he is that good. He really is good. I think he needs a little bit more seasoning. But seven races into your Xfinity Series career and you go out and win, pretty impressive, you know. And uh, he outran a Cup veter- a cup guy who's been winning Cup all year um, this year with Eric Jones. And Eric Jones is considered a, a, a the next superstar in the Cup Series by a lot of people, he was moving to Joe Gibbs Racing's 20 car next year. He wouldn't be doing that if he's not good. Um, and he was able to go out there and pass him. And sure, it was controversial. Uh, I think a lot of people, Eric Jones fans especially, are annoyed by the way he did that. Um, but at the end of the day, again, I think it was a a clean move and a move that um, was refreshing to see a young kid go out there, run his guts out, and try and get the victory. Now it's 788-982-80. Clayton Caldwell here. John Harlow talking in circles tonight. Um and we look at the points of the Xfinity Series. It looks like it's a junior motorsports runaway here, John. You got uh, Justin Allgaier, William Byron, Elliot Sadler, top three in points. Uh, and then it's 17 points back to Brendan Poole. That's Matt Tift, another five back. Then Ryan Reed, Daniel Hemrick, and Cole Custer round out the top eight here. They're off this weekend. They don't run Martinsville, the Xfinity Series. They got Texas and Phoenix before they move on. But right now it looks like it could be uh, – all three G- junior motorsports cars and and somebody else there running for the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. It looks like this team right now is pretty flawless. Yeah, the junior motorsports teams, they're just consistent. They don't go out and win a bunch of races. I mean, Justin Allgaier's won a couple. Um, but Elliot Sadler's consistent. Allgaier's consistent. William um, Byron's been consistent. Um there's a reason William Byron's going to the 24 car next year because he's run really well in everything he's driven so far. And I think it's three, those three will end up being at Homestead. I still think the fourth car is going to be, to me, I think it's got, it's between Daniel Hemrick and Cole Custer, even though there's an eighth in points, I think tech winds up being a good track for him. I think Cole Custer had a great race going, but he was just off on uh, fuel mileage where he had to pit late in the race, or he would have been in the top 10 easily and would have been higher up in points. I think Cole Custer had a good run on Saturday. And I think Daniel Hemrick had a great run on Saturday. You heard him all day long. He's running around the top five all day. And I think it between those two, I think they're two of the, the two guys you look at who could end up being that fourth car going to Homestead. Oh, I agree. I think uh, I've been very impressed with Hemrick, and I think Custer – They've really found speed in that Stuart Haas car um, here in the last few weeks. Um, and when you get a mile half track like Texas, I think you're going to see that team really perform very well. Uh, speaking of Stuart Haas Racing and Cole Custer, uh, they announced an alliance starting next season with Biagi then Bestie Racing. Stuart Haas Racing has bolstered its Xfinity Series effort, partnering with the nine, number 98 team. Uh, the Xfinity Series operation will be known as Stuart Haas Racing with Biagi then Bestie beginning with the 2018 season. The name only applies to the Xfinity Series. Uh, Stuart Haas Racing will continue to feel the number 00 Haas Automation Ford Mustang for Cole Custer, and the number 41's outfit, outfit will change his number to the number 98. 
Uh, Hum Brothers Pizza Fields will remain with Harvick as he drives a number 98 Ford Mustang and another part-time schedule next season. Also, you're probably going to see the 98 team do more races. They'll announce that at a later date. What you what do you make of this? You know, Stuart Haas Racing, um, why partner with a team like Biagi Dembesti Racing? I mean, they got all the money in the world. Uh, they're a big-time operation. What does this partnership do for you if you're Stuart Haas Racing? I think what it does, it is it gives Biagi Dembesti Racing – some of the tools of Stuart Haas racing without Stuart Haas racing, having to foot the full bill for putting a two car team together. I think they may end up running that two car shop out of Biagi Dembesti where they're at now. Um, I don't see a problem with it. I think it gives a little team a chance. I mean, you look Dem- Biagi Dembesti, they've won this year with Eric Almarola. Where's Eric Almarola going to drive next year? He's going to probably drive at Stuart Haas Racing. It hasn't been officially yep. announced, but we got a feeling he's going to be end up being there. So then you've got now you have two cars, two drivers in that car because Eric Almirola would probably bring in the Florida Lottery a little bit or Florida Orange Juice and have some sponsorship and drive the '98 car here and there. It gives Ford a place to put Chase Briscoe or. Um, um, Austin, or no, who's Austin the other Sindrick. kid that ran? Yeah, Austin, Austin Sindrick, the two kids who ran for um, Kozlowski this year because Kozlowski's truck team goes away. It's going give to give them a chance to field a full season in the 98 and have the engineering, the support that Stuart Haas Racing can bring to the 98. It'll bring that car up to a, and give Ford a chance to compete with the Junior Motorsports and the, um, Joe Gibbs racing teams and give Ford a solid competitor on a Saturday other than the 22 car that Penske has with their all-star team. This will give them a chance to have a legit solid car that two solid cars that four has a chance at going for the championship with. Yeah. Listen, I I definitely owner points, you know, obviously with the uh, 98 team, but, um, you know, and it's good to have that operation. I think you brought up a great point when you said, you know, it kind of helps put the bill there for a little bit. You can keep your organization going and, um, you know, you don't have to run two extremely serious teams. You can sort of have Biagi and Bessie run it and put the bill for it, but give them the support, give them the race cars, and you don't have to pay the people to go to the racetrack and stuff like that. So I think that really helps um, Stuart Haas Racing. It, it, you know, whenever you can save money, it's never a bad thing. You know, this is an opportunity. Hopefully, this is an opportunity for somebody. Maybe they'll hire some kid here. I think you brought up a great point. Amarola, Amarola runs the plates tracks for him, and he does. He runs great on the plate tracks for him. You know, won uh, the, the July Daytona race with them the last two years on that '98 team. So they're very, very good uh, with Amarola. I think Amarola's going to be back there next year with Stewart Haas Racing uh, in the Cup Series, most likely. That's what everybody's been pointing to. Smithfield's going there. It just makes sense. That's the way it's going. This move. You kind of, you know, dot, you know, uh, figure out the dots there a little bit and connect the dots and you sit there and you go, well, maybe it's Eric Amarola and that, that's what's kind of making this deal go, you know, come to light here a little bit as well is that he's the, you know, connecting piece that, that connects it all. But listen, I, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I wonder if the Biagi and Besti, uh, how their performance is going to pick up. Uh, hopefully for them, it, it, it does substantially because they're an Xfinity Series only team. I think a lot of people look at that and a little disappointed because you're seeing an, another Xfinity Series only team 
you know, become a, a major conglomerate, but you can't blame the organization for doing what they got to do to win races. And, uh, you know, with, with the expenses the way they are in the Xfinity Series right now, uh, it's a big deal. So um, I think it's a, a good move for Biagi and Besti. I'm interested to see how it happen, how it works. You know, it, you are very bring up a good point about Briscoe and, uh, you know, um, uh, Austin Sidrick. We could see them in, in some races like, uh, you know, some non-companion races like Iowa. Be really interesting to see how they perform. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. John, what are your final thoughts there on, on Kansas that whole weekend there? Uh, as we rounded out the, the round two of the, of the playoffs, we're going around three here at Martinsville. But what are your thoughts on on Kansas? Your final thoughts? I think the racing was okay. Um, the problem is we've got the package. It's a mess. I mean, once the leader gets in clean air, there's no getting to him. I don't remember any pa- any passes for the lead that weren't within five laps of a restart. And if there was a pass for the lead within five laps of a restart, it's because somebody pitted and somebody took over the lead. Um, there's decent racing in the pack. And I think one of the things that Kansas showed, it's not your cookie cutter mile and a half where you're just going to be able to ride wherever you want. I mean, you saw Jimmy Johnson spin twice. You saw Eric Jones spin in front of the field. Uh, the one thing with Kansas, it's different than a lot of them. It's a recent repay, but boy, did that truck track rubber in real quick on Sunday because, I mean, they had a monstrosity of a rainstorm Saturday night that just cleaned every bit of rubber off. And it was rubbered up, and they were able to go in the top groove in the first 30 laps before the competition caution. So I think if NASCAR can ever get this package right, where it's not all aerodynamic dependent, there'll be some really, really good racing. I agree. I think Kansas has aged very well. A lot of drivers are ranting and raving about saying, you know, you can run anywhere you want. The top lane came in pretty easily on Sunday. I thought that was nice to see, you know, it's a recent repave, like you said, and it's nice to see a track at a little bit of character after a recent repave. And hopefully we see that more and more as the mile and a half go on, because, you know, mile and a half tracks can get a little bit uh, stale for you, especially in this part of the season. This part of the season is always hard for me uh, because, I love racing, but, you know, you go two mile and a half tracks of Charlotte and Kansas, you're like, okay, I've seen this episode 50 times this year, feels like. But then we go to Martinsville, which is one of my favorite racetracks on a circuit. I can't wait for Sunday to watch, you know, beating and banging on Martinsville and the short track race in there. And then you get to Texas and Phoenix and the season's almost over. So, you know, you kind of get a little bit of a, of a, like I said, stale there with, with the mile and a half tracks, but then your intensity brings it gets brought right back up with Martinsville, and then the season's right there. You're watching the championship run for the rest of the year. So uh, certainly I I'm, I'm, was very impressed with the, with the track at, at Kansas. I think it was a, a fun weekend for sure. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be as good as next weekend, but, you know, uh, that's hard to do. 917-889-8282. Talking Circles, Clayton Cobble, John Harlow. A little interesting news to hear today, John. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but Kyle Weatherman, he's a uh, going to be 20. He's a 20-year-old kid from – Wetsville, Missouri, Wentzville, Missouri. Um, he's run in 50 ARCA races in his career, has one win. He won driving for Cunningham Motorsports, uh, the team that Paul Andrew runs, the former champ, uh, championship crew chief um, for Alan Kowicki. He runs that team. In Millville, New Jersey, he won uh, a, a dirt track race there at New Jersey Motorsports Park back in 2015 in the ARCA series. Um, 
you know, like I said, 50 ARCA starts, one truck series start. Announced he's going to be making his Cup Series debut at Martinsville this weekend. He'll also run at Phoenix in a couple of weeks, driving the number 51 car for Rick Ware Racing. Uh, not a big opportunity for the kid, but uh, getting his feet wet here in the Cup Series. A little bit of interesting news there, John, uh, this afternoon. I just hope he stays out of the way of the leaders because um, it's sort of like the old fart we had at Talladega. I just hope he stays out of the way, uh, make some laps, get some experience. But when the leaders are coming up, realize that they are fighting for a championship and you're just learning what you're doing. I mean, it was funny when they made the announcement, it says a 20 year old veteran of the Arca series. It's like, how in the hell are you a veteran of anything at 20? I wasn't even a veteran at balancing my checkbook at 20. Yet this kid is going to drive in a cup series race, but he's going to be driving for Rick Ware. The car is going to be back of the field. If it makes under the 500 laps, I'll be surprised, but it'd be nice for him to have a chance to um, get some experience, learn what he's doing and just make sure that he's out of the way. That's all I'm hoping for. I mean, hey, congratulations to the kid. If you got the sponsorship that can help you go cup racing, all the power to you. But just make sure you understand where you're at. Don't drive over your head and do the right thing. Get some laps, learn, but don't get in anybody's way. For sure. I think uh, I'm interested to see how this kid does. I mean, um, he's got a brother as well that runs in the, that runs in ARCA every now and then. And uh, I feel bad for some of these kids. And here's my um, – that these kids, you know, they got to take what they can get. You know, right now, if you don't have a ton of money, you can't run in the Xfinity Series and get your experience, so that's frustrating. Um, so maybe move to a, a cup team that uh, isn't very competitive, no doubt about it. I think Rick Ware Racing, you look at the team and you go, eh. But they run pretty much on a weekly basis. Um, and this is, in a, you know, in a race car, a big high-power, high horsepower race car at a track that is the toughest, I think, uh, on the circuit, it's going to be a heck of a day for him. He's going to have a, a learning curve. He's going to walk out of there. His head's going to hurt because of how much he learned over the weekend. But it'll be good for him. And, um, you know, an opportunity for a kid that pre- presents itself to get a little bit more experience, I don't think you can blame him. 917-889-8280. He'll talk in circles. Clayton Cotto, John Harlow again here with you. Um, listen, a couple more things I want to talk about. One is the silly season news, but also, um, you know, we talked about team owners, the next where are these next team owners coming from? Adam Stern, an interesting tweet uh, this afternoon, wrote an article about Jeff Gordon maybe becoming the next owner at Hendrick Motorsports. Gordon says he's in the educational phase here. Uh, how do you think Gordon would do as an owner? As an owner? Uh, and do you think he's going to be the, uh, the next person who takes over for Rick Hendrick? What are your thoughts? I think as it goes down the road, I mean, Jeff Gordon has owned a piece of Hendrick Motorsports um, since right before whenever Everham was looking to start up the Dodge team. Ray originally was hoping to take Jeff with him. And then Rick Hendrick basically said, I'll make you a partner in the organization. He's always been the car owner of Jimmy Johnson. And that was a paperwork deal because at that time you're only allowed to own two cars. So somebody else's name had to be on it. But Gordon, I think, knows the business of it. Uh, He learned very well from his dad, his stepdad. Um, I think at the end of the day, as you look forward, as it goes down the road and Rick Hendricks starts to step back, which 
Who knows when he will do it, but at some point he's probably going to want to. Um, I think two people who have the um, front front line of taking over Hendrick Motors will be, they might be Jeff Gordon and Dale Jr. in a partnership. I think that they're basically set up for it. I mean, Dale Jr. knows how to run an Xfinity. I mean, him and Kelly have had an Xfinity series that they're partnered with Rick Hendrick on, and they've been very successful. They've gone both ways. They've put new drivers in because Brad Keselowski got his start with Junior. Danica got her start with Junior. Um, several others have. But they've also gone the way of if you can buy your ride, you're in because you look, Justin Allgaier brought Brandt. Uh, Elliot Saylor brought one man, uh, William Byron, he, he was signed by Hendrick to be the future of Hendrick. Um, he brought Liberty University with him, and Michael Annette brought uh, Pilot Flying J. So three of the four guys were basically brought here. So Jr. knows how to run an organization. I think Jeff Gordon is learning the bits and pieces of how to run the organization. I think Jeff Gordon would be smart like any other uh, car owner to say, okay, let's get the sponsorship done. Here's our budgets. Hire smart people to be around them and let the crew chiefs do what they do. I mean, if there's one thing Rick Hendricks always done, he stayed out of the way and let the crew chiefs do what they do. He's been there to say, like we had his milk and cookies day with Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss to make sure that a great combination doesn't fall apart because there's some infighting. He was smart enough to pair Jeff Gordon and Ray Everham at a very young age. Um, he's won championships with Terry Labonte. He's done very well. And I think Jeff Gordon knows, and Tony Stewart learned a little, Tony Stewart, that organization. If you look at the way Tony Stewart does things with his organization, he learned a lot from Joe Gibbs and he learned a lot from Rick Hendrick and both of them. People come first. If you don't have the right people in place, you're not going to be successful because before Tony Stewart got to Stewart Haas racing, Gene Haas was a billionaire. Then he's a billionaire now. But before Tony Stewart got there, Haas CNC Racing sucked. And the minute Tony Stewart came in, it got instant credibility. People flocked to drive and work for Tony Stewart. The same people will do this. People will do the same thing with Jeff Gordon and Dale Jr. They'll be able to keep the people who have flocked to work at Hendrick Motorsports. And Rick has worked them from like look at Stevie Letarte started sweeping the floors, worked his way up, and wound up being a crew chief. How many people have walked through the door at Junior Motorsports as a crew member, a jackman, a car chief or something, and ended up at Hendrick Motorsports at one of their four cars? I think Jeff Gordon and G Dale Jr. will probably be the two owners combined for Hendrick Motorsports. Yeah, I think you know Jeff is an interesting case. So I didn't picture him as a car owner when he first retired, uh, especially because he took the TV job at Fox. But I think it's something that's really interesting to him. I think it's an honor to him. I think he could do a good job. He's always been a very smart guy. Um, and it's a lot of responsibility, but it's a lot of pairing people together. And, you know, when you look at Hendrick Motorsports, and this is the crazy part now, you know, with everybody that has been there over the years, the guy who's probably been there the longest that's currently still Hendrick Motorsports, not named Rick Hendrick, is Jeff Gordon. His tenure at Hendrick Motorsports started in 1993, and Hendrick was only about 10 years old then. Uh, they were still in the very, very beginning of their organization. Now, they had won a lot of races, but they had yet to win a championship. 
Um, you know, they were sort of in the infancy there with Hendrick Motorsports and Jeff brought them to a new level. So he knows how this organization is run. He knows the inner workings of it. He knows it from the beginning. And really what it comes down to is what's Rick's job? What does Rick do? Um, you know, how do you manage the people? I think Jeff is going to be the next owner at Hendrick Motorsports. And listen, I don't think there's anybody to better to hand it off to. I think it's, it's good to see because it's nice to see a guy who, uh, was such a big name, you know, even people who don't watch racing know who Jeff Gordon is. And it's good that he's more than just a, uh, an announcer. You know, I don't know if Dale Earnhardt Jr. wants that responsibility. I think Dale's more of a laid back guy who doesn't want, you know, he likes running his Xfinity series team. Sure. But I don't think he wants the responsibility to run a cup series team. I think it's going to be Jeff Gordon. And, uh, I think it's great for NASCAR. I mean, huge that Jeff Gordon will say if he does this will be able to stay in there and be as competitive as he is uh, and be as involved as he will be with a major cup team if he takes over Hendrick Motorsports I think one of the things that we're going to have to see how it works out is Rick Hendrick got started because Rick Hendrick is a hell of a car dealer and for what Hendrick Motorsports does I still think you need that backing of something where Rick Hendrick is close to being a billionaire himself. I mean, he's a multi hundred billionaire. He's close to the billion dollar range with the amount of car dealerships he has and how much Hendrick Motorsports is worth. I don't know how much Jeff Gordon has in the bank. I mean, Jeff Gordon made a lot of money driving in the cup series for a long time, but I don't know if Jeff Gordon has the wherewithal to back it himself unless Rick Hendrick sets it up that this will be an entity that will continue and the car dealerships will funnel certain amounts of money into whatever. That's the thing that we'll have to look for to see how it goes in the future when it comes to who the investor is that goes with Jeff Gordon. Tony Stewart's a hell of a businessman. Tony Stewart's no billionaire. He doesn't have Stuart Haas racing unless Gene Haas signs that check to say, Hey, you're a 50% owner, but you didn't have to put any cash into it. For sure. And uh, listen, I think Jeff's got plenty of money. I'm not, you know, I'm not diving into his, into his finances too much here, but I don't think it's going to be an issue. Um, I think it's just something that I wouldn't worry about money. I think Rick's got that all figured out. He's a very, very, very smart guy. Um, but, you know, you, you're asking, you've asked that question a lot here on this show as far as where's the next batch of owners coming from. Jeff Gordon's still young. You know, people forget He's only 45 years old, so um, if he takes over Hendrick Motorsports in the next five, six, ten years, you know, he's still going to be a relatively young guy. He'll have it for 20, 25 years maybe before he wants to give it up, so that's huge for that organization. And again, you know, it's a big name who's keeping his fingers, keeping staying in the sport and having a major, major, major uh, involvement in this sport. That's huge, you know, and uh, it's sort of like what we saw with Richard Petty, who's still involved with the sport, but uh, to a much higher degree with Jeff Gordon taking over Hendrick Motorsports. And I think that's ultimately what the plan is here in the next five, six years. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. We'll be back here uh, Wednesday night on Talking Circles, talking, previewing Martinsville and talking about the news of the week here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. <laughs>